Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast with Pastor Joseph Gibson at Cranberry Community Church. We hope God speaks to your heart through today's message. The second week of the series, we talked about Jonah. Jonah, uh, we see, is a man who when God told him to do something that he didn't want to do, he, he resisted it, and he, he, came, he opposed it. He ran from it. So uh, he's actually a very relatable prophet uh, in that way, but God never gave up on him or his calling. And then last week, we looked at Habakkuk. So where, uh, where Jonah really wrestled with God's calling, Habakkuk wrestled with God's sovereignty. How can you allow injustice to continually exist? And ultimately, he comes to recognize that God does see it all, and God will bring it all to justice in his timing. So today we're wrapping up this series and we're looking at the prophet Haggai. Uh, time stamping, uh, Haggai is actually the easiest of all of the prophets. He is extremely specific down to the day when he received his message from God. So it was actually August the 29th of 520 BC. That's how specific he is with his ministry. So it was actually the birthday of it last week, I guess you would say. But if we compare him to the other prophets that we, we've studied uh, thus far, uh, his ministry takes place more recently than all the others. Uh, so his ministry is not concerning people's sins and the impending judgment so much uh, as the others we've looked at. But he ministers actually after the season of judgment. We call him a post-exilic prophet, which means after the uh, Israelites were taken back or went back to Jerusalem, from exile, from that season of judgment. He was a prophet to them. So uh, we could just jump right into his message, but I want to take a minute to set it up first because what takes place just prior to his ministry is actually one of those the, the most incredible fulfillments of prophecy in all of the Bible. So uh, again, I said next week we're going to be talking about apologetics. It's, it's the, uh, the evidence of, for the Christian faith. Uh, this prophecy that we're about to talk about uh, it is so incredible and so specifically fulfilled that it could fall into that category of apologetics. It's just unbelievable. Uh, but there's a lot going on, so I made a timeline we're going to put on the screen to help you see what we're talking about here. So uh, we'll put Habakkuk on the screen. Habakkuk that we talked about last week, his ministry was around 612 B.C. And one of the things that he prophesies, remember, very specifically in his ministry is, hey, God is not silent. God is raising up the nation of Babylon to be a vessel of judgment against Judah for their sin. We talked about the, the degree of their sin last week, of child sacrifice and idol worship and all these things uh, that are going on. So he says this judgment is coming at the hands of Babylon, and that uh, is ultimately fulfilled in 586 B.C., if you'll put that up, Greg. Uh, this is when the temple in Jerusalem is destroyed, and everyone who's there, uh, all of the remaining Israelites, are led away captive out of Jerusalem, out of the city, uh, to Babylon under the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar. Now, they remained in captivity until that king died, and he was replaced by King Cyrus II, who's also known as Cyrus the Great. And Cyrus allows the Jewish people to return to Jerusalem in waves to rebuild the city, to rebuild the temple, beginning with the first wave of about 50,000 Jewish uh, people in 538 B.C., and we have that on the screen as well. Um, so you can see this progression taking place. Now, Cyrus the Great, have a picture of him on the screen. Uh, he, he 
both throughout Scripture, but also in secular history. We have them all throughout secular history, but the Bible talks about him in Ezra, it talks about him in Daniel, and it talks about him specifically by name as well in Isaiah, uh, just to name a few. But what we have right there is so easy to read right past and not realize what's taking place because Isaiah, the prophet, specifically writes about Cyrus being God's anointed and uh, uh, God using Cyrus. But the thing is, Isaiah's ministry takes place in the 700s B.C. So if you'll put that on the screen, Greg. So more than 100 years before Cyrus was even born, and more than 150 years before he takes the throne, not only does Isaiah talk about Cyrus by name, but before he's ever born, I want you to see how specific his prophecies are regarding this person named Silas. So uh, the next one, Greg, 150 years past, Isaiah 45, 13. Isaiah is prophesying, uh, and he says, I will raise up Cyrus. Remember, this is 100, over 100 years before he's even born. He says, I will raise up Cyrus in my righteousness. I will make his way straight. He will rebuild my city and set my exiles free, but not for a price or reward, says the Lord Almighty. Again, in Isaiah 44, 28, it says, I am the Lord who says of Cyrus, calling him again by name, he is my shepherd and will accomplish all that I please. He will say of Jerusalem, let it be rebuilt. And of the temple, let its foundations be laid. Long before Cyrus is even born, church, the prophet Isaiah receives a word from the Lord and says a man named Cyrus will rise to a position of authority and set the exiles free and say to them, rebuild the city, rebuild the temple. He said, says this more than 100 years before the city and the temple are even destroyed. God is already planning the restoration of the temple and the city before it's even destroyed. Before leading them into a season of judgment, God has already thought out the specific plans of how he's going to deliver them out of that season of judgment. And this prophecy is actually so specific that critics of scripture and critics of prophecy uh, take these two chapters that refer to Cyrus and they say, well, these two must have actually been written after all of this taken place and then just thrown into the book of Isaiah because there's no way that this could be true. But we actually have a response to that too. So if you're ever telling someone that, and that's their response. Uh, there was a Roman Jewish historian named Josephus. He's not in the Bible. He's not pushing Judaism. Uh, he lived in Rome and he was creating the history of the Jewish people. Uh, it's a work called the Antiquity of the Jews. He was born around 37 AD, so just after the death and resurrection of Christ. And uh, in his work on the history of the Jews, he talks about this man Cyrus, and he talks about letting the, the Jewish people go. And not only does he say that Isaiah's writings regarding Silas or Cyrus were written before Cyrus was born, he actually says that uh, Cyrus's decision to release the Jewish people was because he read about himself in the book of Isaiah. Uh, so I have a passage, this is out of the Antiquities of the Jews, directly from his writings. It says, Thus saith Cyrus the king, Since God hath appointed me to be king of the habitable earth, I believe that he is that God which the nation of the Israelites worship. For indeed he foretold my name by the prophets, and that I should build him a house at Jerusalem in the country of Judea. 
This was known to Cyrus by his reading the book which Isaiah left behind of his prophecies. Can you imagine someone bringing you the Bible and opening it up to your name and saying, you're right here. And you're in this position because God put you here and look what you're supposed to do. This actually happened in history and Cyrus sees himself in the scriptures and, and in response to seeing himself in the book of Isaiah, he sets the, the people free and he says, go rebuild the temple. And in fact, he says, we'll pay for it. We'll have all the nations around you pay for it. We see God's sovereignty is so undeniable throughout scripture. And all of this background leads us this morning to the prophet Haggai. So Haggai's ministry is specifically dated again to 520 BC. And we're going to put that on the timeline just so you can see. Uh, this is important because Haggai's ministry begins uh, about 18 years after they begin rebuilding the temple. Uh, after they, they were released to Babylon, 18 years later, his ministry begins. And you would expect that he would come into this place and there would just be an atmosphere of celebration and, and one of living under the blessing of God. You know, all of these miracles have taken place. We've been released out of captivity. We're back in our homeland rebuilding. Uh, they've just come out of this judgment. It's got to be a season of rejoicing, right? It's got to be a season of celebration, but that's not what the scripture says. So this is Haggai. Uh, this is uh, chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. It says, This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much. He's speaking to the Israelites here. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Somebody say amen. All right. So I want you to see what's going on here because there are two truths taking place. Their new lives, even though they've been set free, they're not fruitful and they're not fulfilling. They're not productive and they're not satisfying. They, they work and they work and they work and God has set them free, but they're finding they're not bearing fruit. Their, their fields are not bearing fruit. And they work and they work and they work and Nothing is fulfilling to them. Nothing is satisfying to them. So the question is, why would God lead them out of captivity in this miraculous way back into their homeland, this incredible way, but not bless their lives once they arrive there? And if we back up just a little bit in the book of Haggai, he actually tells us exactly why. So we'll go back to verse 2 in chapter 1. Haggai says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled house, houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much but harvested little. You eat but never have enough. You drink but never have your fill. You put on clothes but you're not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. He just says that. He's saying it again because he wants them to do that. Give thought uh, to, to what you're doing here. He says, go up into the mountains and bring down the timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Remember, 
18 years has passed since the, since the people have been released out of Babylon to go rebuild the city and rebuild the temple. And the book of Ezra tells us that as soon as they get there, they rebuild the altar and they lay the foundation of the temple. But once they do that, they're met with great resistance. And sometimes we have this idea that if God calls us to do something, it also means he's going to make it really easy for us. But that's clearly not the case. It's not necessarily going to be smooth sailing. Because what they meet the moment they lay the foundation is Ezra 4.4 says that, that the people, the enemies around them, set out to discourage the people of Judah, to make them afraid to go on building. They did everything they could to sabotage what God wanted to do until Cyrus was no longer the king. And then when there was a new king, they sent a letter to the new king and they said, hey, the, these Jews, they're rebuilding the temple. This is dangerous. They're going to stop uh, they're going to stop paying taxes to you. All this is going to happen. And the new king agreed, and he sent a letter back to them and said, okay, you're right. This work needs to stop. So those letters are both recorded uh, in Ezra chapter 4, but for the sake of time, I'm just going to skip to what happens as a result of the letter. In Ezra chapter 4, beginning in verse 23, it says, As soon as they received uh, a copy of the letter from King Artaxerxes, uh, it was read to Rehum and uh, Shimshai, the secretary and their associates. They went immediately to the Jews in Jerusalem and compelled them by force to stop. Thus the work on the house of God in Jerusalem came to a standstill until the second year of the reign of Darius, the king of Persia. So what we have is this situation where God has called the people to go rebuild the temple, to rebuild his home, but the governing authorities have now, now said stop so they stop working on the temple, and instead they shift their focus to building their own lives. And when God speaks through the, the Haggai in the opening verses, he addresses them on two levels. First, he says, you've put off my work. You're procrastinating the work that I have called you to. And we have this really difficult situation because uh, we have God's command on one side, which is rebuild the temple, but we have the government's command on the other, which is stop building the temple. And which way do you go with that? And it's, it's really, it's intriguing because at the center of all of this is God's desire that they would rebuild the temple. But the government, what we see is when the government supports it, they obey. But when the government opposes it, they stop building and for nearly 18 years, they have stopped working on the temple of God. And what we can actually see is their obedience to God depends on whether the government supports their obedience to God. And I, and I see this scenario really repeating itself in our nation, in our culture today, because I was just thinking uh, about what we've had going on, on recently. Uh, the baker in Colorado who, who refused to do a wedding cake for the same-sex uh, couple. Uh, another baker who refused to do a gender transition celebration cake. Uh, the football coach in Washington who refused to stop praying before games. The postal worker who refused to work on Sundays. The Supreme Court ruled in favor of the Christian faith in each of these cases. So just like the Israelites, for a season, we sort of have the government's backing right now. But what about when we don't? Because the day is coming when we're not going to have that backing. And what are we going to do when the government says, 
you're required to marry anyone who wants you to marry them, to do your work for anyone who asks you to do it. See, the Israelites, when the government had their back, when the government of Babylon had their backs, they obeyed God. But when the government changed hands and changed their stance, the people set God's command aside and said, it's just not the right time. It's just not the right time to build the temple. And God didn't say, it's okay, I understand you're between a rock and a hard place here. I understand that. No, he said, if you choose to obey anything other than me, including political entities, your work will not be fruitful and it won't be fulfilling. So the first thing that God holds against them here is he says, you're procrastinating my calling on your life. And you might have the best of the best reasons in your mind, but nonetheless, you're procrastinating what I have called you to do. You're delaying it. You're saying, let's wait till there's less resistance. Let's wait till there's less opposition. But what God says, what I see, is you're just ignoring my calling. Secondly, he says, you, you've become far more concerned with your own comfort than making a place for God. You've made yourself these, selves these, these paneled houses while the house of God lays in ruin. Now understand, the, before Jesus came, the temple was central to their relationship with God. Uh, this was not really about a temple building so much as about misplaced priorities. Uh, the people had stopped working on the temple, and they just started focusing on themselves. And the more they focused on themselves, what they found is the less they had. The more they tried to acquire, the less they had. And they planted much, and they harvested little, and they saved up money, and it disappeared. Uh, you'll hear churches from time to time, they'll, they'll use this passage uh, when they're raising money for building funds. Uh, I'm not going to do that until we're doing a building fund, but I'm going to use it in context this morning. That was supposed to be a joke. But uh, <laughs> I should just stick to what I have here. Um, th this has nothing to do with that. This isn't about a building fund. This is about misplaced priorities, and Jesus kind of addresses this specifically in Matthew chapter 6. In verse 25, he says, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? And I, I highlighted these three words because uh, these are the same things that Haggai talks about. God says, you've eaten, but you're not satisfied. You've drank and drank, but you're not fulfilled. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. Jesus is almost going line by line of what Haggai said. And then he says kind of the same thing. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and I'll take care of all of these other things. We are called to be kingdom-minded people. Uh, another storyline that we're not going to go uh, far into this morning. Renee, you can go ahead and come. Um, it is Haggai's calling for the people to, to put their faith and their works together. In Haggai chapter 2, verse 4, he said, Be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord, and be strong, Joshua, uh, son of J Josadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the word, Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you. James said, your faith without works is dead. 
And I love that, that it's not one or the other. It's not just working, and it's not just the knowledge that God is with you. But he says, understand, you work with the knowledge that God is with you. It's faith and works together. And, and the Bible says that 23 days after Haggai gives his first message, the people restarted the construction of the temple. So he wraps up in uh, Haggai 2, uh, verse 15. He says, again, give careful thought to this from this day on. Consider how things were before the stone was laid on uh, another, uh, before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there was only 10. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hell, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. From this day on, from this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. This is the day that they relay the foundation of the temple of God. In verse 19, he says, Is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive trees have not borne fruit. From this day on, I will bless you. And what we find in the prophet Haggai is when they prioritized God, God's blessings followed. But when they begin to prioritize themselves in their own lives, in their own comfort, God's blessings stopped. And we can ask the question, you know, do I prioritize God above my own comfort, his kingdom above my own? And if that's a hard question to answer, then we can actually work backwards. Because if you feel unsatisfied in life, unfulfilled in life perhaps the answer is not that you need more of whatever you've been pursuing but it's a priority issue that maybe we're not seeking first the kingdom of God can you stand with me church I feel that I should clarify that I'm not anti-government I'm not pushing that this morning, but I want you to see that we have this scenario in Haggai where they only obeyed God if the government allowed them. And whether you see it or not, we're heading for a day, for a time. Whether we see it or not, I don't know, but our nation is heading for a day where uh, Dr. Seuss is outlawed. The Bible's going to be outlawed. Churches will be regulated to say what's okay to say. I mean, if I say the wrong thing on the video right now, they'll cut us off. That's just the beginning, church. And we have to be prepared in our faith to say, I'm standing on the word of God. And no matter what comes my way, what opposition, what resistance comes my way, I'm following God. And we have to be resolved in our heart that that's just who we are and that's just what we're going to do. you speak this morning to our hearts uh, would your spirit search our hearts this morning and we just ask one simple question have we prioritized your kingdom or our comfort Lord as Renee leads us 
if we prioritized other things than you. We invite you to speak in this place in Jesus' name. talking about you. (laughs) Have a good week. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for a new message every single week. And as always, from all of us at Cranberry Community Church, may God bless you.